Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. And between the years 1990 and 2000, I did hundreds of interviews with musicians for the Irish Times in a slot that was originally called the Joe Jackson Interview. When Paddy Woodworth, the newspaper's arts editor, launched its now legendary sound and vision double-page spread. The name above the title idea was his. And I once said to Paddy, why me, Lord? I was joking, though editors do like to be addressed that way. Paddy explained that he chose me primarily because we both believed that the arts should be central to political debate rather than relegated to the sidelines, and that as such, popular music, as an outgrowth of popular culture, could and should be explored from a socio-political perspective. What does that mean in real terms? Okay, by way of a lead-in to the tape I want to play, let me give you one or three examples. One of my peers in the newspaper was a renowned rock critic. He loved in particular American, British and Irish guitar-based bands such as U2, who were usually comprised of four white guys. Cool, we all loved such bands at one stage, I certainly did. But increasingly, cultural analysts and not just feminists had come to call such bands proponents of cock rock, with all the political ramifications that implies. So I set out to broaden the net, as it were, to get a gender balance. And I set out to get a genre balance, to give as much space to, for example, Irish traditional acts such as The Chieftains. And even if all I got was a phone interview, something I usually rejected because it didn't lend itself to in-depth discussion, I was happy to say, you bet. What follows is one of my Irish Times interviews. Enjoy. Hi. Okay. okay. Where are you, in Dublin? I'm in Dunleary. I don't know if you know the Dunleary. place. It's about seven miles outside town on the south side on the beach, along the beach, the coast here. Oh, that sounds nice. It's quite beautiful on a day like this, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. We've fallen in love with Dublin completely. It's beautiful. Really? Yeah. Good stuff. I hope that's not just a line. No. We hear it so often. Not at all, no. I mean, we've, we've went out to a lovely place written and it was just enchanting. Good stuff. All right. Okay, so what, are you doing a run of interviews with people over the phone? Is that what you've been doing all afternoon or what? No. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So I was told we have about 20 minutes to a half hour. Uh-huh. that all right? Sure. Okay. And before we start, a personal thanks. Because uh, your single, I'd Rather Go Blind, was one of the first reasons I got into journalism. Oh, is that right? Right? So it's, it's a convoluted story. It was stolen on me. The guy wouldn't return it. And he bought me Nick, uh, Nick Cohn's A Wop Bop A Loo Bop. You know that book, A History of Rock, which is really exciting stuff? Oh. That book. Oh, it's great stuff. But it was the first time I ever realised that writing could be as exciting as listening to the music or playing it. <laughs> right? So, so a belated thank you. Well, well it's my pleasure. <laughs> okay. Uh, now we get down to business. Right, the, uh, the first question. Does uh, CDs with graphic information seem a long way from the original blues sessions you did with Fleetwood Mac for Mr. Wonderful? Yes, well, Do you... I wasn't done Mr. Wonderful, but... Uh... Did you not sit in on I some... I think of... I was actually unofficially playing some piano on but I didn't join the band until later. But yes, in any case, you're right. Do, do you ever feel that an, the, an original innocence may have been lost along the way? Well, I think so, to a certain extent. I suppose being in the, in the business as long as I've been in it, I, I remember the days when uh, listening to music sort of conjured up your, one's own mental images rather than right. being forced to, to look at, you know, a, a preconceived image on TV, you know, in, in ways of videos or graphics, which whatever, you know. It's right. just... Right. Your own earliest attempts to break into the music business apparently involved storming record companies singing Every Brother's songs with a friend. We didn't storm any record 
Did you not? No, no, we used to, we used to play in coffee bars and things like that. But right. No, we didn't actually do it to any storming into record companies. I think we were a bit naive and young for that, you know. So were you, were you a sucker for Pop's romanticism, like as in the Everly's love songs? I beg your pardon? Were, were you uh, a sucker, we'd say, for Pop's romanticism, yeah, you know, like the Everly's? So. I suppose so. I, I, you know, I, I've often made attempts to write songs about something else. Right. Uh, felt rather pretentious about it, so I, I've always kind of t to know one's limits is always a good thing. I think you know. You've tried like to go outside the theme of love. Well, yes, you know, but I always try to write about love in a in a, in a different w different way, so that in actual fact it, you could, it could be taken two ways. I mean, for example, "Sky's the Limit" is, is not it needn't necessarily be a love song. It could be about anything, you know, as indeed a lot of a lot of the songs I've written can. But um, yeah, I suppose so. I'm, I'm sort of a romantic at heart, you know. Right. Would the uh, would I I would have known. Would say like your earliest solo album, man. As I said, the Chicken Shack single. Yeah. They suggest you could have had a powerful solo career. Do you ever ever regret that you didn't? No, I didn't uh, ever consider doing a solo career. The, the main reason that I did that album, I suppose, was uh, the fact that the, the hiatus in the band was had been so long. Uh, you know, and everyone was doing staggered projects, like Stevie had done a solo album, Lindsay had done one, and Mick had gone off to Ghana, and uh, and he, he'd done a solo album, and, right. and, so, and and John had gone around the world in his yacht, you know, and uh, I, you know, I was sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, and I thought, this is a bit silly, and uh, so that's when I broached the subject of doing a solo album, which, which actually was a really gratifying experience, but right. uh, I don't think that I'd ever... I don't think I'd ever want to go on the stage and just sing two hours on my own, which sure. I did. I did do a mini tour in the states, right. which was uh, for for me very grueling. I didn't really enjoy just it was just me solid for two hours, you know. No release, no release. I've always been sort of used to, to the variety in right. Mac, which I love, you know. Right. On on we'd say one of Mac's earliest albums, like Future Games, songs like your, your own songs, Morning Song and Show Me a Smile. Yeah. They suggest that you would have been a prime architect in, in moving towards the AOR. Yes, I, th I, su I suspect that's, that's pretty much the truth, yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've no... Uh, I mean, I know there are certain rock critics out there who have this kind of prejudice against anything that's not hardline cock rock or whatever. Yeah. You've no problem with those kind of labels, have you? Well, I don't even know about these labels. Right. <laughs> I don't really uh, think about that very much, you know. Fair enough, fair enough, okay. And uh, some of the Bertrand songs, Homeward Bound, and I think you spare me a little of your love. Yeah. They also were apparently uh, as autobiographical as anything that then turned up on rumours. I suppose so, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So w did you always look on song as an outlet, as a form of creative outlet for that kind of, for coming to terms with things like that in your private life? Uh, Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure it started off like that, but then I sort of branched out into not quite so autobiographical and uh, often stepped into other people's shoes. You know, when I the Rumours album, in, uh, in actual fact, uh, songs like Oh Daddy weren't written about me. It was written about Mick's wife. It was I stepped into Mick's wife's shoes All right. and, and wrote the song about Mick. Right. So... Uh, it was, uh, it's, I often do that now, instead of it, but although some songs are personal, obviously, uh, a sure. lot of my songs are, uh, are, there's so many interesting people surrounding me in this business, that it, it's an interesting relationship, so it's fun to, uh, to step into someone else's shoes temporarily. 
Right, those first songs suggested that, that, or you have also admitted later that the endless touring and that put a strain on your first marriage and, and uh, John's drinking habits. Would you, would you have become ind indulged in heavy drinking yourself? Was that a pattern in the background for you too? No, I was, ne I was never an alcoholic and uh, never will be, I don't think. I, 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 I drink wine and that's it, you know, wine with my dinner. And, uh, uh, no, I, I don't think I've ever had a serious problem in, in either drinking or drugs, although I've indulged in both. Right, yeah, in the drugs. You, in the, oh, a long, long time ago. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing you hear about, like, the Fleetwood Mac Mark 10 album was that most of it was recorded under the influence of the Devil's Dandruff that was in the paper here the other day. The, uh, the Mark 10 album? Well, I think that was just when the group was at it's kind of about its 10th change. You know, the first one, the one before Rumours. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the White Album. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. actually called The White Album. All right. Uh, the death. Oh, yeah, right, well. Um, well, I don't... I, don't, uh, I think that, that, that definitely uh, cocaine was introduced to us at that point yeah. in our career, and, and, it, and it stayed with some, and it, and it disappeared from some, you know... Would, would record, you read of record companies actually encouraging drug use and paying groups with, we'd say, coke, would that have been uh, something that happened in the background? No, that's never happened with us, never. Right, and would you have used it to compose songs like Over My Head from, we'd say, that uh, early album? Uh, no, I think, I, no, I, I, I seldom used it. I mean, I used to smoke a bit of marijuana, I suppose, right. years ago, and I used to write a few songs under the, under the influence of that. But... Uh, no, I mean, I, I usually enjoy to just get a bottle of wine, you know, and I, I drink right. in the evenings, and I, and, I, and I tend to write in the evenings, you know. Right, with this, this, it's the last question on the subject, but there is this lingering image of, you know, the alleged $1,000 kooky sessions and coke and coke lids and all that being still part of the scenario for the groups, that they're stigmatised, for the group, that they're stigmatised with that even after all these years, irrespective of who's cleaned up and who hasn't. Does that bother you? No, not really. I mean, it's a, it, people think whatever they want to think. I mean, I, I can assure you that the band is clean now, you know. Right. And, uh, well, except for, for everyone likes to have, to, you know, some more than others like to drink a bit, you know. Right. But I think other than that, it's pretty much uh, fairly clean. Right. But uh, do you, would you have believed that, uh, I think Mick argued that LSD set Peter Green on the road to ruin? Oh, well, I would, I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Yeah. And does that still upset you, as it seems to still upset Mick? Oh, uh, well, you know, Mick knew Peter far better than I did. I, 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 right. I knew Peter on the, on the periphery, you know. I was on, on the, the edge of that, that entire band set up there, and I knew Peter um, far less well than the rest of them. So, uh, I mean, when I see photographs of him and I, and I hear... You know, he, he'd been interviewed on the documentary that we'd right. done in England. Uh, th that was upsetting. And it's just tragic to me that, that a, such a talented, gifted man could, uh, could, be, could become what he is today, which is virtually a vegetable, you know. Would that have uh, helped keep you kind of from going too deeply into the whole drug involvement? Or well, with other, yeah, other I mean, friends? Certainly seeing the results of other people's misuse of drugs is certainly, you know... Uh, would have to terrify anybody. Right, 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 right. It was apparently John who recommended the rumours title as a, an ironic riposte against all those stories about the band being crippled by drugs and you running off with Lindsay and all that stuff. That was kind of a, a joke. Well, yes, I mean, I suppose, yeah. I mean, things people seem to like to invent stories about 
about the band, and that's somehow something that amuses us. But, I mean, just the other day there was there was an article in, in I think it was News of the World about Stevie, which was utter nonsense. Oh, I thought this was the one about saying the band forced her to have abortions. abortions and everything. I mean, we just all read that and just cracked up laughing. I don't know who, how people get uh. on with these stories. Now. Well, would she have cracked up laughing at that? Because it's a pretty str- it's a pretty damning story. I mean, the suggestion yeah, well, that I don't actually know if she's read it. I, I suspect right. that the people around her would would uh, keep it from her. All right, yeah, yeah. But I imagine she would be upset. Well, I know that raised questions about the suggestion that anyone in a band would, would impose on its female members no pregnancy or you lose your sex appeal. That kind of line, I think, ran through it. I mean, did you ever experience anything like that, that you, you're not allowed to get pregnant Never, or whatever? absolutely not. I mean, that, that would be none of the lad's business, you know? Right. Absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's always been, well, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's always been our choice, you know? Right. It's just never been the right, the right time. You 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 got sterilised at one point. Was that wasn't true the same? There was no kind of pressure on you. That was a personal choice. That was a personal choice. Yeah. Right. You see, but I was just afraid when I saw that story. I actually heard about it that people would start saying, "Was well, was that the same kind of pressure that was put on Christine at one point?" No, absolutely not. That was Right, okay, just in relation to uh, songs like John had once said that listening to mixes of Don't Stop, he felt very strange because, like, it was a situation where you'd written it about him and he was there participating in it. I mean, you know this... Yes, uh, that was written about him. Yeah. Uh, well, it was, I guess, it, I'd put into a song what I couldn't tell him, you know, face to face. All right. Well, why, why do you think we'd say 25 million people, if you can say one on each album, connected on such a... I mean, it had to be beyond a musical level, connected on an emotional level to something that was so personal. I, I don't know, honestly. I, I, I think that we just kind of... There's something between the chemistry and the people, of the, you know, in the band captured somehow the imaginations of a lot of people. I, I really don't know. I think it's kind of a rare thing for, for five people to, to stay together despite all the adversities that we were going through, you know, at the time. But I, I know... The band, the band Fleetwood Mac was bigger than the, than the sum of the... whatever the saying is, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah, but I know a lot of people who, who related very personally to those songs and say, yeah. you know, that's my situation. She's writing, she's singing from me or for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we pretty much covered the gamut, didn't we? Yeah. I think there was something for everybody <laughs> on that album. So it, it would have been difficult for, for there not to be a situation that would apply to somebody somewhere else, you know. But would you agree with John saying that its theme was basically pain? There was a lot of pain there, yes. Yeah, so that, that would kind of almost... Uh, how come something that even dark can have that appeal? I think it is a phenomenon of kind of popular uh, of our time in terms of the, its sales potential and all that when you think of what yeah. it was about. Yeah. I, I mean, it's still, it's still to this day, it, it always amazes me that it, that, it, that it could have sold that many. Sure, sure, right, OK. Uh, at, after that, do you remember, I, I think Mick said something about the punk backlash against the group, that it, he thought it was, it was a bit of a wank, to use his phrase. But when, when people read here or in Britain about the group buying mansions and Rolls Royces and indulging in champagne and all that, did you feel they had any kind of legitimate reason for saying they're the kind of groups we don't want to aspire to become, or that's the whole thing we're reje- rejecting? No, I think he's to his own. Yeah? You know, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have anything negative to say about any other groups, that how they run their, how they run their personal lives, it's their concern and their business, and I think the way we do our things is our business too. Right, so did you reject that kind of reaction? You still see that seeping through. I suppose a lot of journalists who grew up on that kind of enemy in the 70s era yeah. held on to well, a lot know, of... I mean, we, we did lash out when we first... I think that the shock of selling so many records kind of probably went to... 
I don't know if it went to our heads or what. I mean, it certainly uh, did affect us. At least, you know, the the immediate following uh, few months when all of a sudden so much money was coming in, you know. Right. And, uh, and, and yes, I did. I went out and bought a Rolls Royce with, with my credit card and drove it to the rehearsal that day, you know. And, uh, right. you know, and, and John and Mick did the same thing with these turbo Porsches. They just went and went Right. And, uh, you know, but the thing is that, that we've come out of it, right. you know, a bit more level-headed this end. We've all been through a lot of nonsense and uh, somehow, have, I, you know, I don't think that I've really changed that much. Right. You know, in retrospect, if, if I changed at all and I've managed to come back to somewhat of a, of a normal human being, you know. The, apparently the excesses on the visitor and that and mis miscalculated estate deals and some say whatever other costs that were led to bankruptcy and the breakup and that of the band, which you were instrumental in then reuniting in 85. Well, Mick went bankrupt. Right. The band didn't go bankrupt. Right. Um, but the, uh, you're credited with reuniting and apparently with yeah. a, little, a little help from Elvis. Well, that's right, yeah. It was, it was just that I'd been asked to, to, put, to record a song called Can't Help Falling In Love With You yeah. uh, for, the, for a movie, for Blake Edwards' movie. It was called Fine Mess. And, uh, and I said, yes, I'd like to do it. And, and I called Lindsay up and I said, do you fancy producing this? Because since he was a big Elvis fan anyway, so he and Richard Dashett produced it and we decided to get John and Mick playing bass and drums. And, and uh, so it was, in essence, it was the first time that, that in five years the band had been in a, in a studio environment, you know. Right. So we got together and we just played around and jammed and sang a few of the old songs and we recorded that song and it sounded wonderful. And uh, some of the old chemistry seemed to come flooding back and we thought at that time it would be prudent for us to perhaps, you know, record a couple of songs. It wasn't a decision to make an album at that right. point. But it, you know, quickly developed into a full-on commitment to tango. It ended up being tango, yeah. Right, and that you had your songs like everywhere and Little Lies. They, I mean, the, your songs became very much the hallmark of the album, and those you wrote with uh, Lindsay. Yes, and, and my husband Ed, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen though in some critiques, you see uh, Lindsay given a lot of credit for the album as if it was his sign-off to the group, and he was putting his stamp very securely on it. Does that anger you if you ever see that reading of? Oh, we see that a lot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, very much in the fore and on the production of this album, he and Richard Dashett. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfair to discount the rest of us at the same time. You know, the rest of us weren't sitting there like, like blobs of putty, you know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, everyone had their input. I, I had lots and lots of different ideas. Uh, everybody did. Mick did. Often Lindsay would, you know, sit and say, what should we do on this? I don't know what to do on this. And then I would come up with an idea. And, but, you know, Lindsay was definitely at the fore. There's no question sure, that. Right. But I would like to just clear up that the, yeah. the rest of us weren't like lumps of... Putty or puppets. Donut, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure, OK. Coming into the last lap of questions, you'd be happy to hear. <laughs> I don't think this is too gruelling for you, is it? Not at all, no. Good. If you just let me hang... Would oh, you yeah. Like a go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I mentioned earlier that John felt a bit strange when listening to Don't Stop, yeah? Yeah. How, how does your current husband feel when he hears you singing track, the older tracks to John or Hold On, which you allegedly wrote after your love affair with Dennis Wilson? Does he feel any kind of 
a human reaction of personal jealousy or anything? No, I don't think so. I think he knows that's well and truly in the past. And, uh, you know, our marriage is what it is today, a very happy one. And, uh, I don't, you know, I mean, because I'm working, I, I spend, I've spent half this year on the road with John McVie, you know, and Ed does not come on the road. He, he doesn't like it, you know. All right. Uh, so, no, I mean, there's no jealousy at all. John's happily married to another very nice lady, and they, he has a young daughter, and, right. and we're, we're friends now, you know. Does that, you, uh, you, I think you'd originally said that even the start of your first marriage to John, you had to go off into your separate bands, didn't you? You went to Chicken Shack and he went off with Mac. I mean, does this parted from from your current husband not kind of put a, a, an unnecessary pressure on the on the marriage? On on not my present marriage? Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. No. I think that uh, you know he trusts me and I trust him, and uh, you know this has been a bit tough this year because I've been away so so much. Right. But uh, you know, well, I dare say we're going to have a break next year and, and spend. You know, we just bought a house in England. Right. And um, so we're going to spend, you know, quite a bit of time together next year. So, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're pretty adults about everything now, you know. Okay. You, you alluded earlier to uh, these kind of stories and other stories that appear about Stevie. There was the, story, there was the claim that also her own personal problems, whatever they were, uh, left her able to work on, on uh, Tango for only a number of days in the whole year that was actually given to the project. Is that true? That is true, and it's true of this last album too, Behind the Mask. It is? Yeah. And is it her personal problems or is it kind of her commitment to a solo career that some well, say... It's, it's, it's commitment to a solo career as well, you know, I mean, it's, it's, she, she really didn't really spend much time in the studio at all. On, on both albums? Right, and how do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel that that, that is potentially damaging to the band or...? or? Well, Stevie doesn't play any instruments, you see, so it's quite legitimate for her not to even be needed. All right. For quite a long time down there because she just sits down there and gets bored because well the rest of us are all doing keyboards and guitars and you know we all love to do that as well right. uh, and you know Stevie's forte is, is you know background parts and, and lead singing and you know dreaming up uh, back, background harmonies and things like that which comes much later in, in the recording process oh I see right but it's apparently she got uh, angry saying that she should have been putting one of her parts on everywhere that she should have been doing the well, and that was the reason. That was the reason. But she, we had to mix the record and get it out. Right, right, right. But she still got angry. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's uh, be that as it may. She just wasn't physically there. There was nothing we could do, you know. All right. Okay. Do you feel uh, do you feel any pressure to compete with her on any level? Like, did you get in any way uh, jealous of that when she became the focus of attention and that and joining the band? Well, I mean, no, not really. I think that if that had been the case, I think I would have just left. You know, I, I think that. Stevie and I play very, very different roles in the band. I, I would not like to do what she does, and she would not like to do what I do. Uh, she enjoys being the, the, the focus, the focal point of the ch uh, millions of clothes changes, this, that, and the other, and, right. and the femme fatale. Uh, you know, that, that, that's her, her role in the band. My role in the band is, is playing the piano and, and backing up, you know, playing along with uh, John and Mick primarily, you know. Right. Forming part of the foundation of the band, which is, uh, you know, which I'm happy at doing. I'm quite happy behind the keyboards. I come out for two or three songs in the sh in the show, and, and I, you know, we do everywhere, and right. I come out to do that. And uh, you know, I enjoy that. And you don't, because I, I, there was one, uh, I think, a magazine a couple of years back reported that you said to a photographer, "I want to look 18." That would suggest that you feel 
you're, you're not uh, able to come to terms with a, a different role that comes to a person that's to get a bit older in a group or whatever? No, well, we're all getting older, aren't we? But, so you've no problem with that? No, I mean, no, that was a joke. Good, good, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, no, I was just being facetious. I, was, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't being desperately pleading the guy to make me look 18. To get out the brushes. There's no way he could do that anyway. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's, uh, that's not a problem, you know. We are what we are. All right, so the last is just a couple of uh, questions about the new album is the, the actual Sky's the Limit itself suggests a kind of, or even in the press release, suggests an end to the history of, of quite tra traumatic times within the band and that. Is that true or...? or? Well, it's kind of, it was, it was, you know, it suggests a new era. Uh, you know, the, the, the departing of Lindsay and the, the coming of the two new guys. Well, they're not new anymore. They've been with us for three years now. Right, right. And I still always refer to them as the new boys. I suppose we always will, you know. Um, Yes, definitely. It was something of an anthem to, to the new, the new, uh, you know, the new formula Fleetwood Mac. Right, and, and in your private life, it said too. I mean, it is a romantic song. It is a love well, song. Well, yes, it's uh, it's uh, it was written about my husband. Well, Ed right. and I wrote it as well together. You know. All right. But uh, I I wrote the lyrics most of them, and they were they were definitely pointed to him as well. But this is getting a bit Mills and Boonish at the end to it all, isn't it? A wonderful, happy, romantic ending. Yes. <laughs> Right, there was just, there was one review of, uh, the, an Irish review here, a reviewer described um, the album uh, in negative terms. Like if you read something like saying it's, the quote was, self-indulgent wallpaper music, and compare that to the faces of the audience who'll be loving the music tonight, do you ever kind of think that rock critics are way out of touch with popular tastes? Uh, well, I, ne I never really take too much notice of, of, of critics, you know, if you, if you did, you'd end up, you know, sticking your head in a vat of uh, oil or something, you know. Right. Uh, if, if, you know, if you take notice of the negative ones, then, then you can get real miserable, you know. Um, people are entitled to their opinion. If you, I, I always believe that if you are in the public eye and you, you present something for the public to either buy or not buy, then it's, you know, it's, we have to accept both both sides of the coin, you know, both negative and positive. And do you think rock critics unfairly compare this Fleetwood Mac with other manifestations or uh, incarcerations of, of Mac, like going back to the Peter Green days yeah, and all that? I think that? so. I think that w this is a perfectly legitimate uh, configuration. I think that uh, it, it's just evidenced by, by the reaction of the audiences that, you know, since uh, Billy and Mick have joined the band, People come to see us, you know, there's just no question of it. People come to see us, they come out, and they really enjoy the show. You know, we've, we've been just having a very, very successful tour this year, and even though the album really hasn't sold what we hoped it would sell, and we don't quite, quite understand it, because right. we don't regard it as wallpaper music at all. Right. I think there's some pretty gutsy songs on this album. Well, actually, the new members have brought back, I think Jeremy Spencer had a, had a kind of rockabilly, rock and roll influence yeah. on the band too, and I well, think... Billy yeah. And, and uh, Rick has the old Peter Green kind of element, which is which is also wonderful, you know. Right. So is that but why is that why you suggest the whole album is looking back at different phases, musical phases in in the band's history? Well, it's bound to be a bit of a potpourri, you know, right. with uh, just just by nature of the different styles of writers and players now in the band, which has always been the case, you know, with Fleetwood Mac, the, the variety. What, what if the suggestion was that you're all getting too happy and too content now and that that takes an edge off the music that might have been there when you were on fire and desperately trying to prove yourselves and win back the acclaim you were fearing you were losing and all that? I don't know about that. I mean, 
you know, well, you know, if there's something wrong with being happy in this business, then there's something wrong with the business. Right. You know, I, I, I think that, yes, we are getting on very well together, and I, I can't see for the life of me that there's anything... If you've got to be miserable to be successful, and who wants it, you know? <laughs> okay, the last question. As you said, uh, the beauty of Fleetwood Mac is that it's a band able to do an array of musical styles, and our audience encourages that. I wouldn't trade places with any other group. Was that just press release hype, or is it absolute truth? Now, could you repeat that for me one more time? The beauty of Fleetwood Mac is that it's a band able to do an array of musical styles, and our audience encourages it. I wouldn't trade places with any other group. No, that's quite true. Is it? That's absolutely quite true. Right, and do, do, the, the last question is, uh, Mick's book has currently come out here. Do, do you feel in any way betrayed that he's revealing the true faces behind the masks? Or? I haven't read the book yet. Oh, right. okay. I've just read the first chapter, which is, uh, you know, I haven't got to the to any bits that might be about me, so I'll have to reserve my judgment about that. Uh, you know, I don't, he says it's quite, quite uh, innocent, really. Well, I've, I've read it in the past 24 hours. Oh, I picked it up last night, and it is very gentle towards you. I don't think it's in I, I, I like it, in fact. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it's not a kind of dark, it's not bitter. It's a, it's a quite loving book, actually. Yeah, well, I think that, that Mick has, has a great deal of love for this band. In, right. in, you know, it's been his life. As it, indeed, it's been all of ours, you know, at least half our lives have been spent working in this band with one another, you know. We're all kind of related, like brothers and sisters now, you know. And would, there were rumours that he kept the manuscript from everybody. Why would he have done that then when it's such a gentle because, tone? Because he didn't want anybody uh, putting an injunction on it and saying right. that you can't put that in the book because... Right. So uh, no one was allowed to read it. <laughs> all right. Okay, so you're going to be reading it on the current tour. I am going to go out and buy a copy. I'm going to go out and buy two copies. You mean he doesn't give you autographed free copies? No, we've got to help the sales, don't we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Christina, thank you very much for that. Sorry if I kept you a bit long there at the oh, end. Oh, that's quite all right. Okay. All right, well, take care then. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. And if you want to read the article that came out of that chat you just heard, check my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Also, if you'd like to be notified of shows that focus on hundreds more interviews like the one you just heard, why not subscribe to the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast? Either way, thank you for listening.